You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning, New Life. How's everybody this morning? Awesome, awesome. Uh, What a privilege it is to be here with you this morning. My name is Blake. Uh, I have the privilege of being the executive pastor of the Zero Collective, which is a network of churches in West Michigan, of which New Life is part of. And man, I just love coming down here. I love being part of this community when I come. Uh, No trip to New Life is complete without a hug from Dan. So Dan, uh, I got to give you real quick here. Okay. There you go, buddy. Love you. Okay. If you haven't gotten one from him yet, man, you haven't lived in New Life for a while, okay? So he is New Life. And so appreciate him. Appreciate Brad. I don't know. Brad's in here somewhere, but uh, just thankful for him, for his leadership here. Uh, he's just an awesome leader. I, I have the privilege of being with Brad uh, probably in meetings at least once a week or so, and every time I'm with him, it is like new life this, new life that. It's like, wah, wah, new life, wah, wah. It's like, he loves you guys. I mean, constantly. It's like, get over it. Come on. We all heard about new life, and we love you too. So, but Brad is awesome. He's just a great leader. I had a front row seat to watch him just grow in his leadership uh, from being a student ministry pastor to actually leading the church here. So it's been just really cool. Uh, A little known fact that you may not know of is uh, Brad actually is responsible for four of my grandchildren. Uh, And so um, let let me clarify that a little bit. Brad, um, my daughter worked for Brad. Um, Wait, that's still uh, not enough. So... um, my daughter, yeah, I'm digging old. My daughter worked for Brad, and Brad introduced my daughter to her future husband. Brad was matchmaker, and so I owe a lot to Brad because out of that, I have four grandkids, and so which is awesome. And uh, if you can humor an old guy real quick here, I just I gotta show you a quick picture here. Oh. Isn't that awesome? That is Tyson. Tyson is 12 hours old. That was taken like yesterday, and so it is just. Super. So I had the other three. So I've got a stool up here because Grandpa Blake, uh, Jungle Jim Blake, is a little tired. And so I'm taking care of all those grandkids. But uh, I love being a grandpa. So I want to take you back uh, to the year 1987, May 16, 1987, to be specific. And there was a young guy standing at an altar. He had a white tux on with tails. He looked amazing. He had some sweat coming on his forehead. His knees were knocking a little bit. It was his wedding day, and he looked amazing. And that is me right there. So on my wedding day... uh, I had some great hair, didn't I? Can you take a look at that? I had some great... I don't know what happened. Years have been hard on me or something, but I had some great day. On that day, May 16, 1987, my identity changed. I became a husband. I became a husband. I didn't have any formal training of what it looks like to be a husband. I didn't go to husbandry school. I, I saw what my dad did, and I could learn some things from there, but I had no formal training of what it means to be a husband. But over the years, I've learned what it means to be a husband. I've learned some things. I've learned that there is a direct and intricate way of loading and unloading the dishwasher. And apparently, I don't do it right. I've learned that we have six pillows on our bed, none of which I can put my head on. Okay? 
I've learned that my wife spells love, T-I-M-E. And this is probably the most fun. I've learned that sometimes when she wants a back rub, that's all she wants is a back rub. And so, now I'm not real good at that last one, but I'm trying to learn that one. Fast forward 10 years, May uh, 1997. I'm at the Pontiac Silverdome, and I'm with 70,000 other guys at a Promise Keepers event, and a gentleman extends an invitation to be a Christian. And uh, I find myself down at an altar with my knees on the ground, submitting my life to Jesus Christ. And in that day, my identity changed. I became a Christian. Now, I, didn't, I went to church. I had some teachings of what it means to be a Christian, but I didn't really know what it means to be a Christian. But over the course of my life here, I've learned what it means to be a Christian. It seems as though my father spells love a lot like my wife does with T-I-M-E. It seems like I learn a lot from my father about how to love other people when I spend time with him. I've learned that I don't always have to talk. When, I, when I'm with my father, that a lot of times I just need to listen. I'm asking you, for those of you who ascribe to be a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, what does your life look like from the time that you accepted Jesus until now? Where are you in your journey of following Jesus? Does your life look different today than it did back then? Is, is Sunday the only time you spend with him? Do you not spend T-I-M-E with him? Here's where I'm going this morning here. When our identity changes, our actions change. When our identity changes, our actions change. We're in a new series today, and it's just starting out. I have the privilege of starting out. It's called the I Am series. And what we're looking at is the way that Jesus had talked in the book of John. He says, I am this, and I am that, and I am this. And we're looking at a passage today that is probably very familiar to some of you. It's John 15, and it talks about Jesus saying, I am the vine. And so normally during this part of the message, I would turn your attention to the screen and I would say, look at there, and we're going to read this passage together. But today, I just want you to let these words flow over you. Let these words hit into your soul this morning. Now let me set the context up here. Uh, Jesus is talking not to 5,000 people. He's talking to just 11 guys, his 11 guys. Now, there was 12, but Jesus or Judas is off doing what Judas is going to do. And so there's just 11 guys, and Jesus is just about to go to the cross, and he's giving these instructions to him. And he says to these 11 guys, he says, I am the true vine. My father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll be even more fruitful. You have already been made clean by the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. A branch by itself cannot bear fruit. So too, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me as I remain in you, and you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is cut off and thrown out and it withers. Such branches are gathered up. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, there's a, there's a lot of imagery in that, those verses right there. And so, not showing it to you, I want to take a little moment here and just identify who the players are, okay? Who's, who's all involved in this passage? So, we're going to show up here. We're going to start with God the Father. God the Father is the gardener. He's always been the gardener. He started as the gardener. Where did, where did life begin for Adam and Eve? In the, in the garden. He's the gardener. He walked with them. He talked with them. Well, next we look at who is the true vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine, as opposed to a false vine. And there will be false prophets coming up. And Jesus is telling his, his uh, disciples there, hey, I am the true vine. I am the one. I'm the one. I'm the one who came to save you. Now we have branches in here. We've got branches, and we've got good branches, and we've got bad branches. I mean, bad branches. <laughs> that was a bad dad joke. Sorry about that. But we got good branches and we got bad branches. And it says that the good branches are going to produce fruit. Now the bad branches, something else is going to happen to them. We'll talk to that in a minute. But last, nextly, it talks about the fruit. And what is the fruit? The fruit that Jesus is talking about here is parts of the fruits of the Spirit. But most specifically, he's talking about love. And if we read farther into that passage, if we go to John 9 through there, it's talking about how to love others. Not only not loving our Father, but Jesus says, how you love others shows your love for me. So we talk about that as fruit. So the fruit is love, and last we talk about fire, and the fire equals hell. And so we don't talk about hell too much in church anymore. Uh, we, a lot of churches try to avoid that because, man, hell is scary. And I'll tell you what, hell is scary. Maybe it should scare the hell out of you because hell is real. We don't like to talk about it because we don't want to make people feel bad. But there's a heaven, and then there's a hell. And in this passage, it talks about branches. And the branches that bear fruit will go in one place. But the branches that don't are going somewhere else. So we're going to talk about that. Now, if you've come in here before and you're new and you're looking at me, I'm not the normal guy here. Brad is the normal guy. This is the guy I was referring to a little bit. And Brad and I are a little bit different as far as how we communicate. We both communicate for the same thing. We communicate for life change. But Brad's a preacher. Brad's going to challenge you. He's going to inspire you. He's going to create a little angst in you. Sometimes you're going to love him. Sometimes you're going to hate him. Some, but all, that, all in all, you're going to sit there at the end of the day and you're going to go like, that guy's pretty smart. And he follows Jesus. Now me... I'm kind of old, okay? So I just followed through life. I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. And so I hope I've just learned some things over the time, and I'm going to share some stuff with you. And today, some of the stuff I'm going to share with you is you're going to go like, well, that's not groundbreaking. It's not. But it's sometimes we just need to be reminded of some stuff. So we're going to take a look right now, and we're going to take a look at these verses, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to abide in Him? What does it mean to abide in Christ? And so we get the word abide, which actually means remain. And if we look at the, the scripture there, the scripture says, in that particular scripture, it says remain 11 times. 11 times. Now, I'm not the smartest uh, you know, person in the world. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. Or anything. But when something's repeated a whole bunch of times, I remember this from seminary. They said, circle it and note it because it's important. And so Jesus says, remain, remain, remain. Now, the remain word comes from a Greek word called menu, which means to stay, it means to continue, it means to dwell, it means to endure, to be present, to stand. That's what Jesus is talking about here, to remain. 
Now, this isn't a passive word. It's not like, okay, remain in me, put your feet up, grab a beer, and sit on the couch. It's not that, okay? This is an active word. This is an active word saying, like, remain in me and hold me. So um, I'm going to teach you a $10 Christian word, okay? Uh, my, my grandma used to say when I use, use big words, she said, now, that's a $10 word, Blake. And so here's the $10 Christian word I'm going to teach you. The word is called sanctification, Okay, sanctification. Sanctification simply means the process of being set apart for God's special use and purpose. Now, in the Wesleyan tradition, of which New Life Church is and what the Zero Collective is part of, we talk about three different points of sanctification. First point we talk about is actually called initial sanctification. So if you look at this graph, you're seeing there's an opportunity here where it says you're knowing God and you're saved and not saved. So on the point here where you're saved, that initial sanctification is the time where you actually come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, okay? We're going to have baptism up on this stage next week. People get baptized, and they make going in public for Jesus. That's going to be the time where there's initial sanctification. They're, becoming, they're making a bold statement in front of everybody and saying, you know what, I'm going to follow him. Now, all through our life, we progress in a sanctification process. Hopefully, we're progressing towards the top where we're going to talk about entire sanctification, but we're in this progressive sanctification process where we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Like I said earlier, we, we are born to either go up and to follow Jesus Christ or we're not. And so there's a process here which we call uh, progressive sanctification. So... I think it's important to note here, uh, before I talk about entire sanctification, here's the thing. You, you are never stagnant on this line, okay? You don't just get to one point and just stop. You're either growing closer to Jesus or you're growing farther away from him. You're never stagnant. Now, the goal here is obviously to be entire sanctification. Let me tell you what uh, John Wesley said about entire sanctification because uh, obviously, he is the leader of our denomination, and, and uh, many years ago I wrote about this. And I think he just expresses it the best. He says, entire sanctification is full salvation from all of our sins, from our pride, from our self-will, from our anger, from our unbelief, or as the apostles express it, we go on to perfection. So when we talk about perfection, what does perfection mean? Perfection means, the word has various meanings. Here's what it means here. It means perfect love. Perfect love. It is a love that's excluding sin, a love filling the heart. It's taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It is a love rejoicing evermore and praying without ceasing and evermore giving thanks. John Wesley says that sanctification is love, 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 love. When Jesus is talking about his disciples and he's saying, you're going to bear fruit, he's saying you're bearing fruit, you're going to bear fruit, you're going to bear love, 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 love. Now, I grew up in a pretty traditional church in a very traditional setting, and uh, uh, we had something that is called profession of faith. And so uh, anybody else uh, make profession of faith out there if I grew up in a different tradition? So at 18 years old, I grew up, and uh, I made profession of faith uh, as a senior in high school. And the only reason I made profession of faith when I was a senior in high school is because other kids were making profession of faith in high school. And so I did the same thing. It didn't really mean much to me, but I did it because others were doing it. Now, some would say that would be my, uh, my sanctification, that would be my initial sanctification. I would argue the fact that it was something done out of rote and done out of history and not done with love. And so 
I consider 1997 when I'm sitting at a Primer's Keepers event, when I commit my, Lord, my life to the Lord to say, like, that is when I actually decided to follow him. Now, I'm not bashing what happened when, when I was 18 or anything. I think that was an important step in my life. But it wasn't where I became a Christian. It wasn't where I started to follow and abide in Jesus. It was just something that took place. In fact, if I remember correctly, they handed me a Bible that had my name on it, and this was supposed to be something I was supposed to read and everything like that. I left it on the stage after they announced my name. I forgot it. That's how important it was to me. What I'm talking about here and I'm talking about, we're talking about today is we're talking about abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ. And when I talk about abiding in Christ, it narrows it down to two things. And this is not going to be a shocker to you. You're probably going to say it before I even do. But there comes to two, two ways of how we abide in Christ. We talk with him, that's through prayer, and we learn more about him, and that's reading our Bible. And so, shocker, the pastor at church is telling you to read your Bible and to pray, right? But we're in church, so I'm telling you to read your Bible and pray, okay? Because that's what we are supposed to do with how we abide. We learn from that. And you would think with everything that's going on in our world today that uh, Bible reading and prayer would be going up. But let me just show you a quick statistic here. I don't know if you can read that or not, but the headline there says 26 million, 26 million people not started reading their Bible during COVID, but they stopped reading their Bible during COVID. A global pandemic where we don't know what's going to happen the next day, and people stopped reading their Bible. That's astounding to me. Go on to the next one. The next slide there shows Bible reading or uh, prayer. And this is among Christians. And this is, takes a, into effect over a series of time here. But again, I'm not the smartest uh, person in the room, but when you see a graph going down to the right, that's not really, real great. So you would think with everything that's going on in our world internationally, when you think about a war in Ukraine, when you think about uh, earthquake in Turkey and Syria, when you think about the conflict with North Korea and China, when you think about... Uh, all the things that are happening where you'd think our knees would be bent to the ground, we'd be seeking our Father, but we're not. When you think about nationally here as a, as a, as a country, with the political unrest, with the uh, racial unrest, with the school shootings, you would think our knees would bow to our Father, but they're not. What are they doing? They're looking for help, and they're looking for something other than what the source is. They're not abiding in Jesus. They're looking for their solutions in this world. And I think we can all agree the solutions in this world just don't seem to be working. They don't seem to be working. Our God is a God who wants us to abide in him. And if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, when our identity changes, our actions change. When our identity changes, our actions change, or at least they should. This passage that I'm quoting here is John 15 there. Uh, I love how A.W. Tozer, he writes about this passage. He says, Just as a branch must stay firmly attached to the trunk to stay alive, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we must stay firmly connected to him to remain spiritually productive. A branch draws strength and nourishment and protection and energy from the vine. If it's broken off, it quickly dies and it becomes unfruitful. When we... We, as believers, neglect our spiritual life, ignore the Word of God, skimp on prayer, and withhold areas of our lives from the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. We are just like that broken branch off the vine. Folks, we need... God calls us to abide and to stay into Him. He wants it. He has some great promises, and we're going to get to those in just a minute there. 
But if we're not connected to the vine, it says you're worthless. It's unproductive. And you'll be cut off. Our goal and our way as followers, the followers of Jesus is to stay connected to him. So what keeps us from abiding? What keeps us from, from staying with Jesus? Uh, I wrote down probably about 10 things that keeps Blake from staying, staying connected to Jesus and abiding. I've narrowed it down to two just for the sake of time. So the first one is just independence. Uh, independence keeps me from, uh, from, uh, from spending time with Jesus. As a country, um, we love independence, don't we? I mean, we have a day set aside for independence, and I love the fact that we do celebrate. It's one of my favorite days, the fact that we get to actually celebrate that. As a country, that's amazing to celebrate our independence. But in our spiritual life, if we're independent from God, that's a problem. That's a problem. You were taught, and I was taught here, uh, that the natural progression of things in life is to go from dependence to independence. When you saw a picture of my grandson Tyson up there, you're taking a look at him, and you're like, for the next 18 years, my, my son-in-law and my daughter's job is to hopefully get him to, be, to get him to be independent. I mean, that is the most glorious thing when they are independent and they leave your house and you put up the clothes sign on the basement and they can't come back, okay? That is the most glorious time in the world, okay? We did that. We put the clothes sign up. One of them wandered back, and we let them in for a little while. But I tell you what, we want to kick them out. But it's the whole joy. The whole joy is to get them to be independent, right? And that's how it does. We do that with our kids. We do that with our finances. We try to leave from our parents and stuff and be financially independent. We try to do this as a country, as a government, try to be independent. But uh, in a spiritual life, that doesn't happen. Now, just like Jesus does with everything, <clears throat> he turns everything 180. And in the spiritual life, we go from a sphere of dependence to independence. We go actually from a point of independence to dependence. We have to be dependent upon him. And that's hard. That is really hard. The older you get, the more independent you become. It's hard to be dependent upon God. And yet he says in his word, he says, unless you become like a little child, right? You will not see the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> That's what our Father says. So our goal is to go from an independence to a dependence. We go from a do-it-ourselves attitude that I've got this and I don't need any help to a dependence upon God to produce fruit. And as we move from an independent mindset to a mindset that says I'm dependent upon Him, it requires us, it requires us to, to abide in Him more. We know we can't do this ourselves. <clears throat> we try to live independently of God. It just doesn't go right. So I want to ask you this morning, what, when do you rely on God the most? When have you relied on Him the most? Has it been when you were dependent upon Him? Or has it been when you've been independent upon Him? Has it been when times are going amazing that you're, you're closest to Him? Or is it times when things are tough when you're going closer to Him? Uh, a Just a week ago, <clears throat> we took a bunch of leaders along with our, past, our lead pastor, Brian. We took them on a uh, retreat um, in town here, and we did an exercise called a spiritual timeline. So you're going to see a, a graph here in just a second here of a spiritual timeline. And basically what this does is it just graphs out when you feel closest to God and when you feel farthest from Him. And so what you're supposed to do here is you're supposed to take the 10, 12, 15 events in your life that are significant events in your life And just graph it on there and say, okay, when this happened, was I close to God or was I farther from God? And so 
I did this personally. I didn't show my own graph up there because I wanted to leave it blank to give you some ideas there. But here's the thing what I did is like when I looked at this, when I was <clears throat> fifth grade, I um, experienced a whole bunch of anxiety. And I remember my mom every morning before I went to school sitting in our living room, if you remember living rooms growing up, she sat in our living room. We weren't supposed to go in that room, but we sat in that living room there, and she put her hands on me, and she prayed for me every morning, and then sent me off to school. That was a tough time. Was I close to God, or was I far to God? I was close to God during this time, because I needed him. I needed my mom. There was times where things were going exceedingly well for me. My business was going well. I haven't always been a pastor. My business was going well. My kids were behaving. My finances were in order. My wife and I, our marriage was great. All these things kept happening. And I look back on some of that stuff, and I'm thinking, like, was I close to God or was I far to God? I was far from God from there. I didn't need him. Everything was going great. I look back at when my daughter was born, uh, in 1990, the one that just delivered Tyson there, and there was complications, and she ended up spending uh, almost three weeks in the hospital, and it was touch and go for many days. And I, I look back on that, and I'm thinking, like, I was close to God in there because I couldn't do anything on my own. The question is, were you, are you dependent or independent? How about you? If we were to do this exercise today, where would you put yourself on this graph? Where would you put your own relationship with him right now? Are you close to him or are you far from him? It's not bad being far from him. It just is a good way of reminding you like there is an opportunity to get closer to him. A second thing that keeps us from abiding, and I, I give this, I don't want to give the devil too much credit because I hate doing that, but sometimes it's not a what, but it is a who. I think the devil keeps us so busy so many times that we don't spend time with our Lord. This, this is true in my life. This is true. Maybe I've talked to many people, and they're saying, like, I'm just too busy. I'm just doing this and doing this. You're busy with your work. You're busy with your family. You're busy with your uh, kids and relationship, and you're busy with school. You're busy with all of these things. You might even be busy here at New Life Church. We might give, you might be volunteering something. You're spending so much time volunteering or doing something that you're not spending adequate time with Jesus. Can I just say to you, shame on us as a church if we're doing that. Shame on us. The most important relationship you have is with your Heavenly Father. The most important relationship you have is with your... I'm going to say this right now. The most supernatural relationship you can have is abiding in Jesus Christ. And if we as a church, if we as an organization, Zero Collective, are getting in the way of you abiding with Him, shame on us. Shame on us. Your most important relationship is with Him. In fact, as often as we pastors talk about it, it's the fact that we can get up here is an overflow of our relationship with him. If we get up here on our own ways, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching at one of our other Zero Collective churches, and uh, it was a particularly couple busy weeks for me. My calendar was extremely full, and, uh, and I, I took time to prepare, but I didn't take enough time. And I wasn't abiding in him. And let me tell you what, the day came when I had to preach. And I got up there, and how do you think that went for me? <laughs> how do you think that went for me? I, I got done with that, and I was talking to the pastor there, and I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't serve you well. I go, I felt like that was a dumpster fire. That's what I told him. I go, that just felt like a dumpster fire. I just went up there and just, you know, and nothing came. 
And as I look back, why that was? It's because I wasn't abiding in the Father before that. He helps us to do that. So if we really believe, if we really believe the words that Jesus says there, that I can do nothing if we don't abide in him, now that's going to change everything. That is going to change your marriage. That's going to change how you relate to your kids. That's going to change how you relate to your, to your spouse. That's going to really change how you relate to your boss. That's just going to change everything. If you're single, that's going to relate, change to how you relate to somebody you're dating. If we really believe in that, it'll change everything and anything that you encounter because we can do nothing, nothing without abiding with him. It says it in the word. So lastly, I want to talk about, hey, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Earlier, I taught you a $10 word. I talked to you the $10 word sanctification. I'm going to teach you a 25-cent word now, okay? 25-cent word is if. If, okay? If is used to say a particular thing can happen or will happen only after something else happens, okay? Now, I talked to you already about we circled the words of like uh, remain and abide, and that comes up 11 times. If, if comes up three times in here. It says in there, I am the vine, you are the branches, if... If you remain in me, and I in you. It goes on a little bit later. It says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch. And later it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. If, if, if. Three times Jesus says the word if. We'll do this, we can expect that. If we do this, we can expect that. And the contrary is true as well. If we don't do this, we can expect that. It's a small word. It's a really small. It's a really important word, though. In essence, if provides us with a choice. And man, we love choices, don't we? We love to choose between things. And we can choose right or we can choose wrong. But we can choose to either abide and reap the benefits that God calls us to. Or, as I talked about a little bit earlier, we can choose a different path. And that path doesn't look very promising. <clears throat> the, the passage uh, we're looking at here says, later says, if you remain in me, and my words, my, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Words are, words are important. Words are extremely important. Uh, a little earlier, I recited those verses to you from John 15. And I, didn't, I did that not to show off, not to say like, oh, he's some great pastor or some great theologian. That, theologian. that, is, that is by far, <laughs> we figured that out already of this much time into this message is from me. I did that because I wanted to know those words. I didn't want to get up before you this morning and just speak from my head and just recite a bunch of words and go, that's just nice for somebody else. I want to live those words. I grew up with a lot of head knowledge. I needed some heart knowledge. I take those words from Jesus in John 15, and I wanted them in my head so I could put them in my heart, so I could recite them back to you so that they would pour over you and that they would bear fruit. Nothing for me, because God's word does not return void, right? Amen? Amen? It did not return void. Uh, it said Albert Einstein uh, never memorized anything that he could look up. Do you know that? He didn't memorize anything. He didn't want to take up that valuable brain space with stuff there, so he didn't even memorize his phone number. He goes, I can look it up. I can do that. Uh, here's the most true statement that you're going to hear this morning. I'm no Einstein, okay? That's the most true. You want to write that one down? Blake's no Einstein, okay? I memorize a lot of things. 
And why I want to memorize those things is because I want to be able to regurgitate. I want to be able to have those in my heart so I can bring those out to bear fruit. I've memorized the entire book of James. I've memorized the entire book of Philippians. I've memorized other portions of Scripture. And I tell you that, not to brag, not to do anything, but I tell you that it was important to me. The reason it was important to me because I needed to change some things in my life. And I knew I needed to go to the source where things could get changed, so I went to the Bible. When I first started at Frontline uh, nine years ago, uh, after a few months, I got a nickname. And they called me 2%. They called me 2%. And uh, here's why they called me 2%. 98% of the stuff that came out of my mouth was edifying and lifting up and encouraging for everybody, but there was this 2% that was still unredeemed. For many years of working in the workplace or just my own personal uh, way of doing things or something like that, there was 2% that would come out and it just would be bad. It just wouldn't be great. And so in humor, they said, oh, you're 2%, and they gave me that joke. Well, laugh, laugh, ha, ha, everybody's funny like that, but I'll tell you what, that hurt. That stung. I'm supposed to be a leader in our church. I'm supposed to be somebody that people look up to, and yet my nickname is 2%. So I went to the source. I went to the Bible and said, what does it have to say about that? And I look in the book of James, and James has a lot to say about the tongue. And it says in James, it says, with your tongue, you praise God the Father in heaven. And with that same tongue, you curse men who are made in the image of God our Father in heaven. So out of the same tongue comes both praises and curses. My brothers and sisters, that should not be. And so I take that. And I look at Ephesians and it says, Do not let in any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is for encouraging building others up. And I take those and I put those into my head and I memorize those things so that when I feel like that 2% is coming, I can go back to that. I memorize the book of Philippians because Philippians has a lot to say about humility. I, I struggle with pride. It's one of my big things. I always want people to see the best of me. I always want to be lifted up. I always want the spotlight. And I struggle with that. And I, I said to so where do I go? I go to the source. And I look in the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say. And Philippians specifically has a lot to say about pride. And it says this. It says in Philippians 2, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any compassion or judgment, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. It says, do, not, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look, not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taken on the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I learned those verses because when pride comes on me, I don't want that. I want to abide in my Father. I want to produce good fruit. You'd be surprised at how many times since I've learned that, how many times I've talked to other people that he's given me the opportunity to speak into their lives and say, I struggle with that same thing. This is what I've done about it. That's what he calls us to do. 
Please don't leave here today and say, oh, i got to memorize a whole bunch of Scripture. No, you don't have to do anything. My encouragement is maybe you want to because you want to abide with Him. I have the privilege of uh, leading a group of leaders uh, within the Zero Collective called Launchable Leaders. And we, uh, we meet on Monday nights, have been doing it for about five, six months, take two hours, and we're just learning some different leadership principles to help them lead and launch into ministry elsewhere. Along with that, I'm walking with these folks. There. So uh, there's 13 of them. So I get the privilege of not only teaching them, but I also get the privilege of discipling them and walking along with them. There was a young lady who joined this group uh, in the summertime, and we were going to start in the fall. And in between that period of time where she signed up to where we started, her life turned upside down. Stuff in her life that I can't even begin to fathom how she's dealing with it at such a young age. And so I came to her and I said, you know what, hey, it's okay if you want to pull out. I know this is a time right now. Maybe this isn't for you. And she goes, we can, we can pick this up later. And she says, no, Blake. She goes, I need this. I need this. And so I've been walking with her and discipling her, and more stuff is coming out. And I gave her another out. I go, hey, if you want to jump out of this, it's no problem. You can, you can take it up later. And she goes, no, Blake. I need this. I need this. What she has discovered is that during this time, as she leans in closer, as she's abiding in Christ, he's meeting her right now where she needs to be. He's not absent. He's right in it with her. And man, I wouldn't wish what she's gone through on anybody. But I'll tell you what, what the beautiful part of this is, it's bearing fruit even. Because the stuff that she's gone through, other people are coming to her. Other girls who have gone through some similar stuff are speaking into her. And she's able to speak truth into there because she's abiding with the Father and she's being fruit out into her. She's loving them well. That's what she's doing brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about abiding. It's about standing in there. Because listen, when our identities change, our actions need to change. When our identity changes, our actions change. So as we close today, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions here. First question is, where are you right now in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you? Are you close to him or are you far from him? It's okay to be far from him. It just means you need a recorrection. It just means a recorrection. So the second question is, what can you do today or this week or this month to grow closer to him? There's an opportunity for you to do that. As fellow believers, when your identity changes, so should your actions. Now this morning as I talked this morning, I, I was keenly aware that I'm talking to people this morning who have a relationship with Jesus and just knowing that maybe there's some of you out there who don't have that relationship with him, there's, there's a baptism happening up here next week that you can be part of, that you can get that relationship. You can take that step of initial sanctification, and you can start your progression towards finding where you are with him. So I'm going to offer that to you. If you, that's for you, awesome. If not, come see me or come see Brad if you want to talk to somebody after. We'd love to pray with you and do that. Let me pray right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to speak to my brothers and sisters here at New Life. I do consider that a privilege, Lord. I don't take it lightly that you called somebody with my background to be able to stand up here and Lord, Lord knows I'm not perfect, man. Um, I'm just humbled by the fact that 
you use broken vessels. And there you use people who've been far from you before. And you redeem it. You're a God who redeems. So I thank you for that. Thank you for how you continue just to move in this church and in this community. And I pray, Lord, new life is continually being known as a church that represents you well, that loves people really, really, really well. And I pray this in your name. And all God's people said,